to The Read Down, your weekly progressive political hot take by the Stonewall Democratic Club. On this episode, we will be reading down the proposed changes to policing, how we are approaching America's relationship to race, and what people are doing all over the country to create sweeping change. We'll be opening the library to read the GOP for filth and giving you the rundown on the latest 2020 developments. I'm Ryan Basham. My co-hosts are Alex Mohajer, Jonathan Welch, and our special guest panelist, Alana Roche. Yay! Yay. Oh, hey, Roche. Oh, hey. That was better oh. than mine. I was going to say, Roche, okay, but like, that's not, that's anticlimactic. Or, okay, Roche. Okay, okay Roche. Roche can go two ways. It can be, okay, Roche, or it can be, okay, Roche. Yeah, we're going to try that out as we go along. If you really want to know, the community calls me Roche all day. As they should. You're welcome. My, my next question is, where's the merch? I know. The one who was supposed to do that, my brand ambassador, supposedly, she moved to Florida. Well, nothing. mistake number one. No, nothing comes of that. Good comes of that. I have cousins who live in Florida, and they're going to hear this, and I'm going to hear from them. But that's fine. That's okay. Let's, uh, let's get into it, shall we? I would Let's. love to talk about some big de- democratic energy, celebrating the biggest democratic flexes of the week. Um, although this first item on our agenda, I don't know if it's a flex or not. Amy Klobuchar yields to women of color on the Biden ticket. Do mm-hmm. we think that it was a genuine altruistic thing or do we think she thought she wasn't going to get it so she made herself <laughs> look good or some of both? What do we think? I watched the video. I watched it happen live on the Lawrence O'Donnell show. And you can tell that there was genuine emotion happening, that she was really feeling it, that she felt like as hard as it was to say, this is just not her moment. Roche all day? Yeah, I mean, blessed be. I mean, I (laughs) wish I could see, yeah, I mean, I wish I could see more leaders like her just be really direct about it. It's very clear. There's nothing ambiguous about it. So yeah, I think she models that really well. I'm really grateful. I did, I did hear, and I do think, I, I, my personal opinion is the crux of her message is right. I think that it is very much so high time that we have uh, a woman of color in the executive branch of the White House. You know, a vice president, I think it would be a really strong uh, statement, and it's really just important. It's time. But at the same time, I don't know that it was a completely altruistic move by Senator Klobuchar, because I think yeah. there's a lot of talk about her time as the leading prosecutor in Minnesota uh, during, uh, I, I don't know ex- the exact case right off the top of my head, but there's some controversy there with regards to her uh, handling cases much like George Floyd's in that state. So um, ah, interesting. Was a, yeah. I think interesting. it was a sort of thing where she bowed out, no, maybe knowingly from the Biden campaign that, it, that it's not going to happen, but it was to possibly save a little face. But either way, the crux hey, of it is correct. It is time. There's a lot of moments in life where you wonder ultimately if the action is genuine. Mm. But regardless, in my opinion, we're at a point where I don't really spend a lot of time <laughs> I'm just like, let's just get the action done, right? Mm, What is the focus here? Let's stay on topic. I have my problems and issues with Biden, right? But Mm, we got to keep moving forward, right? Agreed. Yeah, and she's going to have so many more opportunities to have her moment. Absolutely. In political terms, she's an infant. She, I mean, she could be in that Senate seat for decades longer if she wanted to. So, I mean, were I her, I'd be like, what can I do right now to either set myself up to win for a, a future run or like, Maybe I want a cabinet position right now. Maybe I, you know, I mean, there are lots of ways that could go. Uh, But at the same time, like, I do feel like 
watching her campaign and I interacted with some, a couple of the folks in her campaign a little bit and they were all hard workers. They really believed in her. I've never heard anything personally that was like in line with like the naysayers about, oh, she's a horrible, heinous person to work for. But I also at the same time do feel like I, I observe her overtly politically maneuvering when it doesn't feel authentic, it more feels planned. So I'm kind of on the fence on this one. But you um, know what, when a woman, when it's when a woman does it that we even pointed out, I just that's a good point. point that out. Right. That it's like men can be openly am ambitious and maneuver, but we don't say anything. And I think that's, a, it's a moment for us to really look, I think we all, I participate in that too. And I think it's a good opportunity for us to reflect on the way we apply standards to our female candidates versus our male ones. And I'm, you know, I was a big Hillary stan in 2016, still am. If she ran today, I'd be like, drop it all, make it happen. However, that being said, I reflected a lot on the treatment of women in politics during that time. And I think it's just a standard we don't observe in the men. So yeah, Alex, that being said, Alex, yeah. Yes. I also yeah. think this affects, speaking of women in this race, I think it affects Elizabeth Warren's chances too. Well, yes, because uh, you know, you can't, you can't make a statement like that and then have the campaign select a white woman. It feels yeah. as though like that would be going back yeah. on some progress. Um, but also I've heard mm -hmm. so many people say that one of the leading contenders would be possibly Stacey Abrams, that she is out there campaigning for herself. And I think that goes into what Alex was saying, that it's okay when a man campaigns for himself, but what, why is it so bad that somebody is saying, you know, hey, I would be really good at this job and I would like a shot at it. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that at all. No, you're I'm just sure. uprooting the internalized aspect of sexism that is ingrained <laughs> in politics. So yeah. Good and on society. all of you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, society. I just, but I just love this is so fun to watch too because like this is a really great like spot in the evolution of our species to like just be alive for and living through and getting to participate in. So, you know, I mean, great. I kind of love in a way that it's messy. I mean, this is this is how change happens. So, Absolutely. you know, let well let's let's take it play it as let's a Let's get messy. Yes, yeah. let's yeah. get messy. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so um, Governor Newsom just made mask wearing mandatory in all of California. And as soon as I heard that, the first thing I thought of was those women who went to go testify um, or uh, make comment in front of the Orange County Board of Supervisors using all that bunk science about inhaling CO2 and when they wear a mask. And I just can't even. I, I don't understand why people just why people just can't get behind just wearing a mask. I don't get it. It's the least that anybody can do to show that you actually care about other people, that you, yes. that you just want to do it for somebody else. It doesn't, even if the science isn't correct, which by the way it is, it would actually stave off the disease significantly if 80% of the population wore a mask. We saw that in, uh, in a study this week. But even if that were the case, like just show that you actually care. Put it on. I'm well, losing my the mind. The president of the United States literally has rallies where he's cl clearly calling this, implying heavily it's a hoax. He's called it a hoax in the past. There's no, obviously, a completely failed response by the federal government led by the president of the United States. It's a, a complete and utter failure. And that just goes to the leadership of this president. And you know what? He successfully makes these things partisan issues. In a, it's absurd. Why is this a partisan yeah. issue? Put on your mask. It's not hard. And the reason it's important is that in the state of California, the right, cases are going up. And this is going to be further layoffs, further unemployment, further people getting sick because you don't want to put on a mask. 
I know for a fact that the worst of the financial crisis is not over with regards to we're, this, we're going to feel the ripple effects of it for a long time. And the more the cases go up, the, only, the more that we're all going to suffer. So Mm. I don't know. Yeah. And it's that second wave and that maybe third wave and p subsequent shutdowns that are really going to make people who are like not sure who to believe now really reluctant to go out into the world, spend money, do the things that keep our economy moving. I, I think this is going to be a protracted thing. But speaking of California and other states are moving in this direction too. something else that we're doing here that others aren't is um, the, the legislature just passed and the, government, and the governor signed in record time a bill making California an all vote by mail state just for this November election, but yes to vote by mail. And meanwhile, Wisconsin is finalizing plans to send vote by mail applications to all 2.7 million voters in Wisconsin. Can we just talk for a second about how important vote by mail is and how it's not prone to fraud as some idiots are saying? Well, and those same idiots are voting by mail. Right? So. <laughs> Come on, pick a lane. That's the part that really bugs me. It's one thing to be, you know, a jerk. It's another thing to be a jerk in two lanes. Like you can't really, this is one of those trying to have your cake and eat it too situations. It's not cool. Not cool, Robert Frost. Does anyone, anyone really understand though, like fully understand at least the vote by mail system in Los Angeles County? Like I'm at a point where I'm like, I'm so on board. I'm so on board with, this law and it's signed great but now it's like great what is what does this system look like in its complexities is there a transparent way of really understanding that every vote was counted and that they were all received etc 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 i've just never done the work and i'm just curious this you is know, a conversation I, i'm ready to have now that it's a law i got a postcard once from the la county registrar saying that my vote by mail ballot was counted but I, I that only happened that. once it only, yeah, notification, yeah. I think, but you I can. always vote in person historically. So this is going to be, this going to be new for me. Yeah. Know? I think we all yeah. have a responsibility now to shift gears and really fully understand how do we a make sure that we receive our ballots in a timely manner. Cause my girlfriend, let me tell you, she's had to re-register every single voting time. Hmm. Every single time, every single Bizarre. time I got mine yeah. without a problem, but her, they screwed up every time. So weird. We are concerned about folks knowing how to navigate the system, which is I'm on board with, but there's a there's a learning curve. Well, I was going to say there are ways um, to check in also once you do get a ballot. Um, of course, she has that hurdle, and I think a lot of voters might where they are they actually getting the ballot. But once yeah, they cast not. the ballot, you can track it so you can make sure that your vote was counted. Or angry tweet at Dean Logan, who's the registrar of voters. Um, that's what I've done, and he is it effective. It is. He responds. He's great. Um, and, and, and I don't do it in a Karen way. I do it in just like a, like a, hey, I'm really concerned. I'm a concerned citizen. And can you help me? And he, he's been very helpful. Um, so I have some hope that, that will there's effective. a response. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. There's awesome. no reason that. it shouldn't be. I'm more concerned about states that have a de demonstrated history of voter, suppre voter suppression. And many people don't realize that in 2016, the voter cross-check system was a system that was implemented by Republican secretaries of states in multiple yes. states yes. that was responsible for purging voters from voter yep. rolls in Georgia and all across the country, not just Georgia. And when yeah. those people showed up to the ballots because their, their name is Joe Brown, 
And guess who has the most common names in America? It's people right. of color, minority Americans, and young people, okay? Mm. So Joe Brown in Wisconsin is the same Joe Brown in Georgia, and they purge those voters from the roll, the rolls. Yep. And that voter shows up on election day, and they say, your name is not on this list. And so yeah. they offer them a provisional ballot instead, knowing yep. full well that that person's ballot, provisional ballot does not get counted. There is a reason that three million provisional ballots were Pre, pre, three million legal provisional cast ballots in 2016 were thrown out in the United States of America, legally cast from voters who were in the voter cross-check system. And you want to tell me that those people didn't shore up the 77,000 votes Hillary Clinton needed to win the 2016 presidential election in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan? I am almost certain. It's a fraction. So There should be I'm a whole word about- above your head saying hashtag facts. Hashtag. Hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> we can so, put that in and post. We'll just throw that over. So but, here's the bottom line. No matter where you are in the country, wherever you're listening right now, know that there are two factors at play, political and just archaic systems. So make sure that each single, every single election, you're verifying you're still registered at the right address. If you're supposed to be getting that vote by mail ballot, that you're still going to get it. Uh, keep track of those things. And also, where possible, track your ballot after you've cast it to see if it's been counted. Remember, a lot of the times it isn't nefarious. Sometimes people are just trying to do the best they can with old equipment and, uh, and archaic systems. So it's not always nefarious, but sometimes it is. And the only way that we get to keep this democracy is if we're actually honoring and treasuring and holding sacred uh, that vote. So please, always be on top of that. Don't wait for someone else to find out for you. Don't wait for a mistake that was something like you got purged from the roll somehow on the day to be how you found out that you're not going to get to vote this go around. So keep your eye on that. What I'm um, saying, but, but my bigger point is that the Republicans in the Republican agenda is to call vote by mail ballots fraud and hold us back from voting by mail, but then also to close voting precincts so that people can't actually vote in person. So you just can't mm-hmm. vote. And that's that their part. MO. And everyone needs to be alert about this problem. I'm not saying it to try to keep people, to scare people away from the process. I'm just saying everyone needs to activate, win back our country. We need to do this now. And then once we get Democrats elected, we can start passing reforms to, to voting protection and elections integrity. Yes. And I'll Amen. say also that the people who we just saw it in Georgia a few weeks ago, we're about to see it in Kentucky. By the time this episode comes out, we will have seen it in Kentucky where people are waiting in line for hours and hours and hours. I applaud every single one of those people who refuses to get out of line and stands there and makes sure that their vote is counted. But there are other uh, groups and organizations and people who are out there trying to help and support those people. So those people also deserve a hats off. Mm, Yeah. And if you want to get involved in advance, look for organizations doing doing stuff like that near you. Stonewall does stuff like that here in L.A. Um, That's a great way to be involved and make sure that your fellow citizens get actually get the opportunity to vote. But I want to take a deep dive on a different episode or a different topic because I think it's the thing that's on everyone's minds the most. And it's all, it was set off, this current, I guess you could say, wave of it was set off by the death of George Floyd. And since then, so much has happened in such a short period of time in our culture and in our society around uh, protests, around having new conversations, having new mindsets. I've heard from white people for the first time say things like Black Lives Matter. It's a remarkable time to be alive, but there's, we're right here in this moment where I think we should be paying a lot of attention and dissecting it and also looking at 
how can we maximize this moment to maximize the change? So first, let's just get some initial thoughts from y'all on, on what's happening in the world right now and what do you think is the most important piece to be paying attention to? Should I jump in? Yes, yeah. girl, go. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Um, honestly, um, oh, okay, so I am a resident of Los Angeles County and I think the people's budget should be one of the top priorities. I mean, there's so many priorities, but on a local level, the people's budget is essential. Um, defunding the police is essential. Um, you know, LAPD receives about over $3 billion. It's insane. While we are defunding local schools, you know, teachers, I mean, the list goes on and on. So, you know, their plan to ask hey, let's redirect those funds, right? We don't need police to greet us when we walk into City Hall and take our temperature. We don't need police to do basic things that health professionals should be handling, public counselors, like health counselors. Like there are other ways we can create jobs, right? Create after-school programming. I mean, our children, our youth, are depending on this. They're basically asking them to stay out of trouble, but with nowhere to go. Um, I think our city council has been very short-sighted, and I am so grateful that organizations like Justice LA, uh, Justice Justice LA now um, is having has been having conversations. I mean, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. This has been going on what 2012, but. Regardless, all these other dignity and power now, these other orgs have been birthed out of Black Lives Matter. That's what's so incredible about Black Lives. So on a local level, yeah, I mean, there's, to me, that is, that is the priority, is defunding the police. We do not need to have militarized police. That's insane. What is going on? Peaceful protests being honored? Absolutely, it should be. It's 2020. Like, what are we waiting for, right? But institutional racism is real. And for the first time, our white community is actually reconciling that. And there's really no way the black community can really push their, um, their needs and their demands through without white allyship. I've been talking to a lot of the Stonewall leadership cohort, um, doing some interviews with them for a broadcast that's going to be on KPFK radio in, in Los Angeles on um, this Saturday, June 27th. Did I get that right? And, um, you know, I spoke some time, I took some time speaking with them and I asked a lot of them, what does, a, there, a few of them are uh, people of color, trans women of color. We had uh, a participant who is uh, non-binary, um, and I was very curious in their perspective about their perspective about what what does allyship look like to you? And because this is all a learning experience, and for for me, and I hope for everybody. And you know, one of the lessons that I was learning in speaking with them was that effective allyship is about being an ally, not saying you're an ally and listening. And for those of us who may not have, who are privileged, who may not know the struggle of what it's like to be a black person in America, this is a really important time to be paying attention and learning. And it's up to us to learn and not to put it on others to try to learn these lessons. I think that that's our responsibility. And so talk to your family, talk to your friends, talk to your white friends, have a conversation about the way that we are privileged because I used to think that privilege was just about like some hierarchy, but it's not really that way. There are, there are ways in which I am privileged that someone else is not. And like, I know I will never get pulled over and killed by a police officer. 
but I also know that someone else might not have to be worried about having their marriage taken away from them. So there are different avenues by which privilege exists. And for those of us who are privileged in one way, we can extend an olive branch to those who aren't to try to create a more just and verdant and equal society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Jonathan? What's the, what's the thing that sticks out for you the most about all this? What comes to mind first? Well, I think that we're, it, it's true that we have to do the work as, as white people, that we have to jump in and we have to assist the process because otherwise you, you can't have progress unless you have the people who have been oppressing others come around and say, we can't have this anymore. So it's actually hopeful to see books on on racism and anti-racism and how to cultivate anti-racism. Um, books like White Fragility being on the New York Times bestseller list and having the top 10 books be by uh, either Black authors or books on this topic. So I think that doing the fact that we're seeing so many people doing the work and people that you wouldn't expect would be doing the work who are coming around to this, like, you know, the, the folks who kind of sometimes stick their heads in the sand and they don't think that this is a problem. They have come around to see that it's a problem because it's not in front of their face. It doesn't mean that it's not happening and they finally see it. So thank God for technology to shine a light on this stuff because it's been happening long before. And now people are actually able to to look and actually see that this is happening in their country. They don't want their country to be that way. So if you are a good American, if you have that sense of patriotism, you want it to be a country that's free for anybody, that where anybody can have those opportunities. And that's, that takes work. You know, I, I always think about history and I think about like World War II and how much people sacrificed during that time in order to create something better for the greater good. And we haven't seen anything like that. Now we are finally seeing something like that where we all have to throw everything aside and we have to work on this and fight for this. And I actually see it happening. And that's Mm. very, very hopeful. Mm. Yeah, it needs to be the priority and it needs to remain the priority. And that's my call. I'm asking, that's kind of my ask of my community and of my white friends uh, and family, mind you. That, that this is not just now that, you know, we're not watching it on mainstream TV, now that it's not on every single, you know, news channel, are you still choosing to participate in this process? Are you, are you still doing call to actions? Are you still calling, you know, uh, our representatives and city council? What are you doing every single day to move the pendulum? Because it will stay stagnant because we're overcoming an entire system um, that's been in place for centuries, right? So uh, it's not going to happen overnight, and it does require everyone. It requires our, it requires people of color that aren't black. I had to do a call out to all those who were people of color that were not black to also participate and engage in ways that is required at this time. So I think I think everyone's getting the message that this is not a white or black thing. It is it's a, it, it's it is a racist versus anti racist thing, and you know. Choose your choose and, your lane, and it's, yeah. and it's and it's a it's a this is a <laughs> this is this is a special moment in time, but it can't just be a moment. We're talking about Black Lives Matter, the death of George Floyd, and the singular moment that has really lit a fire in our society right now. And I think one of the things that I worry about is 
it's great that so many more people saw what happened to George Floyd because they were home watching TV. But at the same time, I'm worried that a big impulse that's getting people out into the street that, that are protesting, especially those people who aren't black, like, you know, people are talking a lot about how the, the non-black faces they're seeing and how many of them there are. Part of me worries, gosh, would they be that impassioned about getting out in the street if they weren't already itching to get out of the house? So that remains to be seen. Well, oh, look, well, Ryan, a hundred percent. Oh, a hundred percent. Sorry, someone can speak and then let me yeah. know. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, girl, go. Here's all I want to say. All I want to say is if you are protesting in a Black Lives Matter protest, if you are part of the West Hollywood All Black Lives Matter Gay Pride March, and you had your shirt off and you had Black Lives Matter on your chest and you're walking around shirtless and partying it up, you'd better be registered to vote carry this movement on through. So if you're protesting and you're out there, you know, it's not enough to just protest. Make it happen, America. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how to make it happen because, you know, <laughs> there, are, there are lots of arguments out there. I, I know people that I, that I love and treasure who argue for blue lives or who really don't understand that saying black lives matter doesn't invalidate the lives of others. And, and, and they don't, they're, they're really honestly, TBH, regurgitating what they're hearing on Fox News, what they're reading on Breitbart. Which also I've appeared on multiple times and yeah. it was never pleasant. I mean, how could Have you been in that be? green room? Because let me tell you something, I've been in that green room. Let's offline. Okay. Yeah, it we're, <laughs> we're going to- It was a sinister experience from beginning to end. Absolutely. Like I want yeah, America to know that there is no greater haunted house than the hallways of Fox News. But Fox we News can continue. Is the That's where dignity goes to die. scariest place. Yeah. And they yeah. have- Guests who come up with dissenting opinions and purposefully isolate you and put you in weird dark rooms. And it was like just a bizarre experience beginning to end. So like, it, like, like the intimidation tactics they use, like that yeah. ICE uses when you're, when they're doing second. They had, they had a they producer off camera with me the whole interview going like, just like waving at me. You? And I was just like, well, I still don't know. I mean, I was like, what is this guy doing? And well, you know, to, trying to, to distract you. 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 Basically. Your fly could have been down for all you know. No, I was sitting in a chair. Ryan. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But anyway. how do we how do we counter that though? How how do we effectively uh get people to uh reframe the way they see these things? Rochet all day. I was worried you were gonna ask me this question. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> honest to God, I don't have time. That's my mm. real answer. I have limited time, energy, and resources. And I am very specific about who I invest that in. And I invest that in folks who are curious, who are open and willing to do the work and want to understand. So if people are completely uh, committed and attached to their all lives matter beliefs, so be it. Uh, That's not my job. But Ryan, bless you for, you know, taking that on. But I, I, I just simply don't. There's too many other folks in the wings who... I know I could influence and help them see and kind of guide. And look, creating change. (laughs) I think it's, and I think that is a perfect answer because it's not up to Alana Roche all day to solve this problem. It's up to the rest of us too. And frankly, I, that's at least that's the responsibility I feel as a queer man in America. I feel that it is my responsibility to help others. 
and uh, ends the systemic oppression and racism in America. We as queer people have a unique responsibility to this movement. So when it comes down to like, yes, of course, all lives matter. No one thinks that, no one's saying all lives don't matter, but we we have people in the country who are suffering and we are saying that their lives matter because they're suffering and they need our help. It's like asking, it's like seeing a burning house. I don't know if you guys have seen this meme, but it's like yeah. seeing a burning house and saying, I'm going to go try to help this, the people in this house. It's burning down. And the neighbor saying, well, what about my house? And you saying, well, your house isn't burning down. And them saying, well, all houses matter. It's ridiculous. And people, <laughs> come on, wake up, America. Yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say in the end, I have, you know, my white family, I have white cousins. And it's very clear that, you know, I have no interest in educating and trying to get my aunts and uncles up to speed. I'm leaving that to my cousins to do. That's their work. Good luck. Good on you. I, my only thing I'm taking on is educating my mother who is white Mm. and she is fierce and she's all the things. And she's like, yeah, what, what, let me download all these books like yesterday, you know? So all I'm saying is I encourage those who to start with your backyard, start with what's in your home. Mm. and work from there right so bless you ryan i know you gotta <laughs> but the, thing that concerns, the thing that concerns me is when when people say and this has always bugged me i totally understand but when people say uh it's not my job to explain it go google it my concern is google knows that their their search preferences and their political leanings and so it's likely to show you what sean hannity has to say about this topic so i don't mm. want tell people to go google it but what i am working on doing is is being um prepared to give specific resources so that if I'm not, if I don't have it in me to, sit, to, to do this for you today, at least I can say, look, I can't do this with you right now, but here's where you can start. So that's what I'm working on, right? And I kind of, part of me is like, oh, maybe, maybe I should start like a website called howtobeanally.org and people can just go there and go, well, now that I've said it, it's recorded. So I'm just going to, I'm going to go buy that domain before this area. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but I just, I just yes. want. Ryan, um, the I, arbiter of allyship. Please. I just, that's right. That's the thing is like, well, see, every time ways. I think about that, that idea, it's like, well, I can't be, it can't come from me. And then I have all these ideas about, oh, we should have like a panel for each topic about of people who are, who are in the affected group and then they can talk about them, but you know, but then it's like a whole thing and it's like spins out of control in my mind because that's my crazy mind. I mean, I created is, a link. I, I created a link tree, Ryan. Because when that all went down, my phone exploded and I was having a meltdown. So a week after my meltdown, I literally just recorded myself on IGTV or whatever. Basically, it was like, hey, here's 10 minutes I'm going to give you. And here are all the things. Do what you want with it, right? And you, Ryan, yeah, we're not all going to have the capacity every single day to teach and guide and whatever and coach. But having... A resource link is essential for helping get the information out and people dispersed that link tree and that information and whatever. Accordingly, people are looking for resources. And my white friends were like, thank you so much because I didn't know what to do. They were Mm -hmm. suffering from white paralysis, which is really common, right? When you're not doing consistent racial justice work, what the hell? You go from zero to a hundred? No. So here, here you go. Start there. And you know what? Those books have additional resources. They'll figure it out. They don't need to Google. But also mm, that yes. audience that you're talking about, Alana, is a captive, willing audience. And so I Bingo. think that is the thing that we all have to remember is that you could have somebody who just absolutely 
does not see things the way that we see things, you are not going to convince that person, but you can do work with people who actually are willing to learn. Maybe that person's going to have something that happens in their lives and they do come around, but you can't take that responsibility. We can work harder, you know, to try to educate those people in a passive way, you know, but yeah, but I mean, like they have to be willing to have that conversation and there are a lot of folks who have the capacity. Yeah. yeah, which I don't. Yeah, yeah. and 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 you know what? It, it is all it. <laughs> Let's all just call it, it what it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's yeah. real. It takes it takes it takes whatever moments we can make change, and whatever moments we're willing and able, and the, exactly. and the stars align. And, and it, over time, I think things will get better. But we can only do what we can do, and we have to take care of ourselves first. One day um, at a time. I love it. Well, yes. done. well said. Yeah. One, day. one day at a time. Now that was the that was the new version with Gloria Stefan in my head. But I want to give everybody a quick soapbox second, so we don't have a lot of time. So I'm going to challenge you to do this in 30 seconds. But I'd like to hear from each of you, and I'll go first uh, to, to meet my own challenge, to talk about something uh, going on that you want to share or, uh, about or talk about and offer a way that others can take action or what we can do to do something about it. So my thing is voter registration. We are down 50% from this time in 2016 in new voter registrations, which is a horrible, horrible sign if you are not a straight, white, cisgender, Christian male um, uh, for our society. So not only do you need to make sure you're registered to vote, get 10 of your friends to make sure they're registered to vote, especially in those swing states, which make up the difference like Wisconsin, like, like Pennsylvania, like possibly Arizona. So register to vote and make sure that at least 10 of your friends count them on your hand, write them down on a piece of paper and check them off as you go along are registered to vote as well. I'm going to call out Donald J. Trump and his lame Tulsa, Oklahoma rally, and also shout out all the amazing young people who duped the mother effer yes. by yes. first season tickets that they never intended on filling, oh leading the campaign to believe that a million or more people would show up when only 6,000 people did. Donald Trump, read the writing on the wall, homie. You out. It literally made my Saturday. Um, Um, Oh, and by the way, these young people outsmarted Brad Parscale, who is Donald Trump's, considered the media mastermind behind Donald Trump's 2016 election and all the uh, Cambridge Analytica crap that happens. So a bunch of teenagers just punked you, Brad. How's it feel? Yeah, you had it coming. All right, Jonathan, what about you? Yeah, I, like a crazy person, watch polling all day, every day. So I look to see when people are releasing polls. And I have a lot of hope when it comes to the United States Senate. So listen, everybody, if you are not feeling super jazzed up about Joe, I get it. It's okay. It's fine. We still have to elect him. But I challenge you instead to find a Senate race that you think is important. And I can rattle off a few. We have Maine. We have Arizona, North Carolina, Iowa. Uh, We have opportunities in Montana, South Carolina, Kentucky. Pick a race that you think you can make an impact on. We even have an opportunity in Kansas, potentially, depending on who that Republican nominee is. So I recommend that people put their energy in Senate races because every single one of those races that I just mentioned, either the Democrat is in the lead in polling or they are within one or two points. It is very, very close and we have Mm -hmm. such a great opportunity and it doesn't necessarily trickle down. So if you focus on the presidential race, votes don't always trickle down, but they trickle up. So if you're focusing on a down ballot race, you're going to have benefits all the way up to the top. So get to work. If you need to check those races out, go through that list, 
contact me. I will direct you in the, in, in the place where you need to go. Yes, sir. All right. And our honored guest, Alana, uh, last but certainly not least, what about you? I would really like all of us to really push for um, ending qualified immunity. Um, there is a ending qualified immunity act. Um, I'm not sure if folks are familiar, but this essentially prevents police negligence and it prevents the victims of police negligence from recovering damages, uh, law enforcement. So, uh, for instance, you know, Breonna Taylor, you know, in the state of California, we have a really hard time convicting police officers who are basically cop killers. Or, no, I'm saying this wrong. They're killer <laughs> They're cops. Killer cops. They're killers killer cops. Killer cops. Yeah. Yeah. Killer cops. Okay, so I'm really, push <laughs> I'm really pushing for ending uh, qualified immunity for um, killer cops. And especially here in California, we have seen time and time again, I, I mean, literally lynching is happening daily. It's happening in Victorville. It's happening in Palmdale. Unfortunately, I really just want to lift up Robert Fuller right now because his um, brother was also murdered by a cop uh, just a few days ago. So this is happening every day. But if we can get and Qualified Immunity Act passed, uh, then maybe police officers will think twice because they will actually be held accountable. But right now they're protected. Let's send that information. Let's push our uh, representatives to really push that in Congress. Amen. So we got registering folks to vote. We got uh, sabotaging the Trump campaign with digital strategies like getting those tickets, picking a Senate race to follow. Yes. And to get involved in and support and lobbying your legislators to end qualified immunity. Those are some pretty great. Uh, and can I just say items. hashtag black trans lives matter. There is no LGBTQIA pride month without black trans women of color. And that, that's a, a community that's being very disproportionately affected mm. by violence yeah. in this country. So just there, there would be no gay rights movement without trans women of color. Yep. So and thank black you. Lesbian. Yes, ma'am. Yep. So, and, <laughs> and, and we honor and lift up those people who started this movement on our behalf so that we could live this life where we get to carry on the torch that they lit. Thank you to them. And thank you to you guys for these really awesome uh, ways that we can take action. Next up, we have a special interview that Alex Mahajer just did with Jarrett Hill. Welcome to the Read Down Podcast. My name is Alex Mahajer. I am one of your co-hosts and I'm joined today by Jarrett Hill. He's a journalist. He is the vice president of the, now, now let me make sure I get this right. It's the National Association of Black Journalists of Los Angeles. That's correct. And he's a pretty prolific guy. We've seen you as the one that broke the story about the 2016 Melania Trump, Michelle Obama RNC plagiarism story, which I live for forever and four days. He studied uh, media at Clark Atlanta University, and you can see him all over the place offering his commentary about politics and uh, current events. And I found this very interesting from your uh, profile on your website. He's fond of cooking carbohydrates and interior design. I wish I could have carbs, Jarrett, but I have him constantly trying, trying not to. So I'm jealous of you. I can understand. I can understand. I'm going to have to lay off a little bit, though, at some point. Well, all the social distancing and staying at home, the quarantining can't be good for the Absolutely. body. So welcome exactly. to the uh, to the show, Jarrett. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your journalism. How did you get involved? Because you are really all over the place. And what first inspired you to get into the journalism space? Yeah, I started as a journalist um, in 11th grade. I always uh, say like my 10th grade English teacher 
uh, convinced me that he he was becoming the advisor for the newspaper in 11th grade and told me that I should join. I told him he was wrong. He eventually convinced me to do it. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of my journalism career. Um, first time I'd ever like written something and like put it out for the world to see, or at least our campus, right, of, of 3,000 students. And um, that was really where journalism started for me. And then in college, I was a part of our, our paper and then the network and doing television and all that. And it just really kind of expanded out of uh, that that first time in, in 11th grade. So you're known uh, a bit for your satirical snark, and um, it really works well into your into your voice and the kind of uh, work that you put out there. What what does that come from, and and how do you see that space filled with your with your very specific eye? Well, I think that I think there's always a way that we can have a discussion about things that are um, heavy or difficult, um, but we can also still you know speak about them in a light way or be able to have. A conversation that isn't always heavy. I think the times that we're in right now have definitely um, been a lot more heavy, but I host a show called Fanti with uh, my co-host Travel Anderson, and uh, we always get a lot of feedback that the show tackles really difficult issues, but we also have a good time. Um, and so I feel like that's been a, a big part of what people have come to expect from me, especially with the shows that I've hosted in the past, is that Everything doesn't have to be heavy. Um, there's always an element of a story that can be fun or funny or at least a little bit lighter. Um, there's always something that we can take away from it that we can feel something positive about it. I will tell you it's been harder to do um, in more recent weeks, but uh, that's that's generally how I try to approach things. Right. And then the last few weeks, we've seen the death of George Floyd sort of sparking nationwide and actually global protests calling for racial justice and criminal uh, justice reform and, and reform in our policing practices. What are your thoughts on that right now? Um, are we seeing the movement that we need from this, from these protests? And where do you see this going long term? Are you optimistic? Um, I was just saying to someone, I don't know that I'm hopeful, but cautiously optimistic, I think would probably be the best way to, to phrase it. I think that there is something good in seeing how uh, diverse and widespread and uh, persistent the protests have been and the conversations that are coming out of them. I think it's also uh, encouraging to see so many companies, at least publicly, coming out and saying that they are looking for ways to make changes. I think the real question comes in the follow-up, right? And what the follow-through looks like coming from these companies, whether we're talking about, you know, the NFL or, you know, Variety Magazine or, you know, insert multiple corporations that have come out with, with statements. I think what's going to be important is, you know, what do they do after that? Because putting out, you know, a meme on Instagram and Twitter is great, but what are you doing about your company culture? And I think so many of these companies that come out saying that Black Lives Matter are having to reckon with the fact that they don't have black and brown executives, they don't have black and brown, you know, managers and directors, um, and we'll see black and brown people down on the bottom levels. And uh, I think that's a major part of what we have to see beginning to change. If we're talking about me coming from a journalistic perspective, we see a lot of black and brown writers specifically that are freelancers, that are never a part of the conversations happening in those editorial uh, meetings and in those newsrooms. And I think that's a really important part of uh, that conversation. So what the follow-up looks like uh, when the protests are over is what's going to be most important to me. Right. And I think when we talk about systemic problems and systems and institutional racism and institutional oppression, it's like it filters down into 
so much, so little. It's just on micro levels. Like I watch a Netflix movie and I've made it all the way through to the end of the movie and I'll look over at my partner and I'll say, I, there was not a single person of color in this film, you know, yeah. and these are movies that are being produced right now on Netflix. And so I think that there's maybe a holistic approach. And I know that you talk about um, underrepresentation a lot in the journalism and entertainment space as a part of your work. And where where are you seeing the progress on that right now? Have we seen strides? And do you think this moment of, in time is one that will maybe spark some some change? Is this an inflection point? I mean, this has been a conversation in, in television and media for a really long time. I remember being relatively young when Sex in the City was out and people talking about how is this New York City and there are no black people. Um, I grew up watching Will and Grace, another show set in New York City, and there was no, there were no black people um, until Tay Diggs in the last season, and like he was like, even Tay Diggs in that instance was like very fetishized, like oh he was the hot black boyfriend, and it was like, but can he just be a person? Um, and I think nowadays, and even on Sex in the City, we saw Blair Underwood come in at the end of the series and date Miranda, and he was like the big black guy, and you know what they say about black guys, and it was like, but can he just be like a black guy? that you're dating that you happen to love. Um, and I think right now we're in this moment where we are seeing a lot more um, content. Can you hear the background out here? Is it really loud? Sorry about that. I think right now we are seeing a lot more content where we um, are seeing black people and black directors and black uh, black led content. But I mean, it's still only a, a sliver, a fraction, if you will, of the, you know, innumerable shows that we see on television or the, you know, the various podcasts that exist out in the ecosystem or the films that we see in the theaters. Um, we still have a long way to go. And there's a lot of work that's being done to study that. Uh, you know, Darnell Hunt over at the UC at UCLA does a Hollywood diversity report. And like we're seeing that things are ticking up, but like we've still got a long way to go. And that's just talking about the black side of it, right? That doesn't bring in our Latinx folks, that doesn't bring in our Asian folks, that doesn't bring in our Native American people who have almost no representation, right? Um, and I, there's an ABC show, The Baker and the Beauty, that, that shows this wonderful Cuban family and their experience. That show was just canceled after nine episodes. And so like, we've got to, those kinds of shows don't get the same space to even like build an audience in the ways that other shows do. So we've got a long way to go. We've seen some progress, but we've got a long way to go. I think it's interesting you brought up Will and Grace, um, because, and that really, to me, brings up the the subject of intersectionality and how and particularly going into LGBT Pride Month, you know, in my opinion, uh, there is no LGBT Pride without black voices. And, you know, it was the it was a black trans woman of color that first threw this that first brick at the Stonewall riots, which, you know, right. really did pave the way for expanded rights for the LGBT community. But it's still a battle that's ongoing today. So I, I tend to believe that the LGBT community has a unique uh, responsibility to the protests that are happening right now. And where do you see the queer community and do you think that they have a responsibility in this movement? I absolutely think the queer community um, has to reckon with itself. I think I think every community is having to look at, like, where do we deal with racism? Um, where do we deal with race and racism? And are we doing it well? And I think that when we look at the gay community if I'm just thinking about Los Angeles, right? Like the West Hollywood area does not really like cater to black folks, right? We have a night at a club and, or, or two, I think. Um, and that's about it. And it's frustrating because, you know, I know plenty of black people who, if we're just talking about West Hollywood, 
who go to West Hollywood and don't feel welcome, don't feel included, and don't feel, you know, at home. And I think that's something that, you know, straight people don't think a lot about, but I, and I don't think a lot of white gay people think about it either. Um, and like, similarly to the the ways that we hear people talk about, like, you know, Karens and, and all that kind of stuff, um, there's a, there, there is a thing about white gays as well in the ways that like black and brown people feel about white gay people in the way that that the gay community doesn't feel inclusive. And we even see this when we look at the ways that we've shown up in the Supreme Court, right? When we when we saw our, our marriage equality passing, that was two white couples. Um, we're looking at Supreme Court rulings that just came down and all those kinds of things. It's like, there's it's not inclusive. It doesn't include people. Um, I just came from working on a, a gay radio station, hosting a show there for the last year. And like, it's always a conversation about like having more black artists played on the radio. Um, you know, everybody loves Lizzo and that's great, but like, where's Normani? Where is, you know, there's a list of other people. Um, and so it's, it's, it's frustrating, um, to try and see some kind of breakthrough within the LGBTQ community. It's getting better, but it's moving very, very slowly. Right. And that kind of brings me to the, the topic of allyship and how it, how, uh, people can be, you know, effective allies to this movement who sort of want to get involved. And we saw this uh, all Black Lives Matter march that happened in West Hollywood over the weekend that didn't have the endorsement of Black Lives Matter, but moved forward anyway. And I saw a lot of pictures of white gay people, you know, in their typical shirtless sort of had Black Lives Matter tattooed on their, you know, with permanent marker on their chests. And I kind of cringed at that. What do you think effective allyship looks like? And how do we avoid making this just like a flashpoint where it's almost like a trend? And do you see a problem with that kind of allyship? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I saw the All, Live, All Black Lives Matter event happening. And I think the intention of it was really good. I kind of cringed at the language of All Black Lives Matter because I think it really is conflating two things that that it didn't it may not have intended to um but i think the intention was was good i seeing you know white guys walking down the street with black lives matter tattooed on their chests or painted on their chests um you know it's an encouraging thing but like how many of those guys are talking about how they don't date black guys or how they, i i always look at um at someone's instagram page and if i scroll through your instagram page and i don't see any people of color it says to me this says something to me, right? Um, or if I go and look at your company's website and I don't see black or brown faces, it says to me who you're trying to market to. Um, and if I walk into your your establishment and I don't see black and brown people, it says to me who you you know who you attract and who you who you pull in. And so when we think about the All Black Lives Matter moment, or if we think about you know again West Hollywood or the the various different ways that that shows up in various cities across the country, I think that these uh, these groups, these organizations, these companies have to start thinking about like at this moment. If you're not doing something to be more inclusive, you are a part of the problem. You uh, like I'm, I was looking today at a company trying to see what their what their statement had been on Black Lives Matter. Um, specifically, I'll, I'll name them. It was it was look, I was looking at Scripps Television. They are the people who do HGTV and uh, the Cooking Channel and the DIY Channel and all that. And they had rolled out a new slate of all their programs that are all white hosted. And I thought to myself, like, I haven't seen a statement, not saying they haven't done it, but I haven't been able to find the statement from them about Black Lives Matter. And I thought to myself, like, you guys at this point, it's just not OK. And if you aren't doing it, you aren't doing it. 
right? If you haven't, if you haven't made a statement, if you haven't come up with a plan, I see a lot of these companies that have diversity and inclusion uh, goals, but they don't have any measurable, um, measurable plans. And I, I think one of the most important things that I always see when I'm talking about diversity and inclusion, when it comes to companies is like when companies want to include, increase their membership, they have a number attached to that, a percentage or, you know, a, a cap of what they're looking at. When they want to increase revenue, they have a number that they're looking at. When they want to increase, you know, their reach or their market share or whatever it is, they have a number attached to that. But when it's diversity and inclusion, time and time again, when I have these conversations with people, it's, well, we want it to be organic and we want it to be, you know, a part of the fabric of our business and they come up with all this great language, but they don't have a number. They don't have a piece of data. They don't have something that's measurable or trackable. And for me, that tells me you don't care about it. Right. Yeah. And um, we have an election in less than 150 days coming up in November. Right and there. where do you see, how do you see that election and in terms of our showing up and will that make a change? And what are your thoughts on what needs to happen coming up? this November and helping um, support this movement? I am really concerned about this election, just being frank. I think that this election, um, we have every indicator that this election is going to be... You can say stolen. I, well, I wasn't even going to say that. I was going to say a shit show. Um, okay. But like, we have every indicator that this election is going to be uh, controversial, uh, problematic, and if we just look at how Georgia voted last week or two weeks ago, however long ago it was now, that should be a national scandal. The fact that people were standing in lines just wrapped around buildings and, cur uh, and, and blocks like trying to vote, that should be a national scandal. And it happened um, by design, too. Absolutely. Right. right. Like uh, Governor Kemp there knows exactly what he's doing. He was the former secretary of state running elections in the state of Georgia. And Georgia is not alone or unique or special in that way. And so I, you know, I think it is important that people get out and vote and are part of the process and that we have, uh, we win by a margin that is undeniable. But I also think it's BS that we have to win by a margin that is undeniable. Um, because quite frankly, like, you should just have to win, right? But I'm concerned about this president. I'm concerned. And I mean, we've heard plenty of people saying like he's not going to leave. I think even if he does lose and he leaves the White House, he does not go away. And that is the concern. Right. All of the people who follow him, love him, believe in him will then feel disenfranchised because their candidate lost. And he's going to still be on Twitter. He's still going to be on television. He's not going to go away quietly. That is a norm of the presidency. It is not uh, it is not a, a law or something that is that is mandated. So. I'm really concerned, just being honest. I agree with you. And it is uh, it is problematic to me that we're going to have to turn out in numbers that are so large that it's undeniable. And I agree with you there. So, you know, if you're listening to this, everyone get out there, register to vote. If you're protesting in these protests and you're not registered to vote, that's a problem. Put your money where your mouth is and help support this movement and also just help get this guy out of the White House. That's been our conversation with Jarrett Hill. Jarrett, I really appreciate you joining us. And where can our listeners find you, support you, and follow up with what you do? Yes. Yeah, so uh, my podcast is called Fanti, F-A-N-T-I. It's a portmanteau of fan and anti, things that we love but have some challenges with. Uh, we have new episodes every Thursday. Uh, you can follow me on social media everywhere at Jarrett Hill, two R's and two T's. And uh, my website is jaredhill.com. Following you right now. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jared. And hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again.
Thank you, Alex, for making that happen with Jared. Um, this has been The Read Down. I'm Ryan Basham. My co-hosts today have been Alex Mahajer, Jonathan Welch, and our special guest panelist, Alana Roche. Alex, will you close this out? Yes, if you like what you hear, please visit us on the web at www.stonewalldems.org. You can join the Stonewall Democratic Club for as little as $25 a month. We also have a low year. income memberships a year, sorry, a year. We also have low income memberships, which is only $15 a year. So there's, it's really easy to join. And we have a lot of amazing advocacy and activist work that we are doing ahead of November. So visit us and join us. And if you love this podcast, leave us a comment, subscribe on Apple iTunes, or wherever you're hearing this podcast, leave us a YouTube comment and spread the word. Share this video and let everybody know about what we're doing here at Stonewall. Thanks for listening.